Welcome to Retro Groove. I'm Adam. And I'm Liam. And this is a podcast where we talk about music that stands the test of time. Welcome to episode two of our third season. We are well underway. Fall is quickly approaching. Are you getting any fall colors up there in the uh, the Northeast yet? A little bit. Um, it's more browns than yellows and oranges. Um, right. But we got apples, which are great, although apples. I guess you could just get apples all the time. But lots of apples right now. Pumpkin spice is in, in the stores. And yep. um, I can wear a hoodie. I'm wearing a hoodie right now. That's yeah, great. Yeah, same. We got uh, <laughs> hoodie bros. That's right. Yeah, I love hoodie weather. I'm definitely a summer vibes kind of guy in general. My birthday's mm-hmm. in June. I just I love summer. But... Especially after this summer, I am so incredibly ready for fall and for the yeah. holiday season. Same. Uh, I still have the iced coffee, though. I don't yeah. know. What's your, what's I always your, what, do iced coffee. I'm, I'm a cold brew guy. So yes. There's, like, there's a place right by me. right yep. here. Exactly. Awesome. I was going to ask yeah. what Liam's coffee drink of choice is. So Yeah. So there's a coffee shop in our town that I can ride my bike to. So on days where I'm not super stressed for time, I'll hop on my bike tunes in my over my ears because i use the aftershocks uh so i'm not being super dangerous just a little right. dangerous by listening to music gotta while hear my something bike. yeah so i'll throw those over ear bone conduction things on ride down to my coffee shop see what flavor cold brew they got and then uh then ride a take a little bike ride with some coffee Ice heck coffee. yeah you do some flavors flavors I do flavors in yep right now it's uh this is butter rum like butterscotch. Butter yeah, like butterscotch nice. but butter rum. I don't know. But it's very good. I do I'm so boring. I just do compl- I just do black. Just yeah. no flavor, no sweetener, no milk. I just want black, cold. I don't care how cold it is outside. I want iced coffee every me time. Too. Yeah. But that's me. I don't do a lot of um, drinks. So, speaking of the Northeast mm. and Liam you you're in New York. I am. Um we're going to talk about a New York City band today. This band is very New York City. Yeah. Today, we are starting our duo. If you've never heard one of our Expand My Mind episodes before, me and Liam will trade back and forth, expanding each other's minds on a on a group or an artist that the other person may or may not be terribly familiar with or mm-hmm. didn't quite get it not quite a fan um and in a in a not uh too aggressive way it's not preachy <laughs> try- or anything no yeah. no no yeah. we're just explain it's like coming to maybe like a college course where it's like mm-hmm. hey i'm going to present all this information to you you can take it or leave it but yeah. this is our presentation on why this band is great why you should get into them, how you could get into them. 
and go from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. The so way I'm, I the way I see it usually is uh, like there are there's always somebody or you always have that friend who is just like you got to listen to this band. You got to listen to this song. They just feel their passions so mm-hmm. much and they're so excited and they want to share it. Um, yeah. and, and admittedly, like if that hits you at the wrong time um, or if you're not in the space for either to be pitched or sold on music um, right. or or it's just not the right kind of music for you then, it can almost be like an eye-rolly kind of situation like it it can be a little bit of a burden to have somebody like try to put a whole especially like a body of work on you and so with this series it's really like coming into like we we're two nerds we we feel music in our way we're passionate about this stuff otherwise we wouldn't be doing this show right right and we come to this kind of these conversations to say I'm open and want to understand this. Like, I feel like I would like to be enlightened. Um, This is like sitting over beers or cold brew and cold brew and getting walked through something to appreciate it because the way that I engage with music is different the way that you do or anybody else. And I know for me, I need a relationship with it. I need, I need it personified to me in most situations i can totally appreciate a beautiful song or a well-written pop song something that's catchy something that hits the cultural zeitgeist but for something to resonate and stick um i need to feel my own connection and so this has always helped me go from like okay i i have an extemporaneous relationship with this band or song or whatever to Mm -hmm. context like now i understand what it is behind um, this this sound or this album or, or right. whatnot. Yeah. And sometimes it's, especially if we're talking about a band, for example, Blonde Redhead, who has a 30-year career spanning gonna about to be 10 albums. It's like, where do you even start? Do you just start at the right. beginning? It's like, how, it, it, sometimes if it's a body of work that you're unfamiliar with, you need a little bit of a roadmap to try to, you know, an in to get into the totality of it because it can be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of albums. It's like, okay, where do I even start? Yeah. Because Uh, it's not always at the beginning. Like like everybody has their own entry point and there's, uh, there's, there's artists that you and I talk about where my context for what that band, the bands sound, so to speak, or who that band is, what they represent is different from yours because you started listening at the second album and I started listening at the fifth, you know, exactly. Um, I, I, we have that all the time. And I think that that's, I think that's going to come up here a little bit too with a, with a band like this. Oh, I'm sure. And it usually does, uh, which is great. Um, so before we dive into that, uh, Liam, what you got going on? Anything cool recently? Uh, you've been going to all kinds of concerts and stuff. Did a few concerts, um, and then had, uh, a work trip where if I can work it in, if I'm running around or something, um, I try to 
you know, you do a quick Google Maps search for record stores, see what's in the area. Yep. Um, and so I wound up in like Amish country, uh, oh, wow. <laughs> like in the middle of Pennsylvania for uh, for a work thing randomly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's an area I've never really been to much, but there was a town like 15-ish minutes from where I was supposed to be. And so I left a little early and headed out to, uh, I think it's Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Yep. And uh, I popped into a day in the life records. So shout out. They had a really cool selection. Small nice. spot. You know, everything was kind of in one. It wasn't, you didn't have like your jazz and your country and everything that was really broken out. It was all just kind of like all together, used, new. Um, but the thing that I wanted to bring up that I, I I had this like moment of realization is uh, you go to like a, a thrift store or a used record store or something to that effect, Salvation mm-hmm. Army. And there's often a CD shelf or shelves or section or something like that. Um, and obviously it's predominantly stuff that has been donated or, or sold at that place. There's right. aren't too many record stores that are actively selling CDs. There are a few, but for the most part, it's like vinyl and used CDs, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm, I, I'm scanning the CD section because it's cheap, and I've been, I'm in my car. I still have the CD player. I have right. a four hour drive ahead of me home, and so I'm like, yeah, what? Like it's kind of like a, a freestyle. Yeah, it's like I could get anything that I want on a streaming service, um, but this kind of lets me dictate what it is. And I didn't actually buy any CDs. Nothing, nothing jumped out of me. There wasn't much oh, okay. of a selection. But the funny thing is, like you start, it's in alphabetical. It's all mixed together, and. I see Counting Crows, right? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to find Dave Matthews next then. Like <laughs> when you go, when you, like to scan through that, because it, it doesn't happen in vinyl as much. Although in my new arrivals bin at my local here, when I find Yes or something, I know I'm finding Jefferson Airplane or whatever. You know, like you can tell like you're going to yeah. like, I know who sold this stuff. And so I have an idea yes. of what I'm going to find. There, and there so, are some... Uh, common pairings we'll exactly <laughs> like you you kind of get to know in a weird way the person who purged their cd collection or their record right. collection by what they decided to sell and i i'm telling you like it happens with the vinyl stuff here and it happens at used stores again it didn't happen this time but i was um when i was in on vacation about a month ago i came across like a weird um uh Band, like this band called Phoenix TX that like I found this CD and I was like okay well somebody liked pop punk in the early 2000s <laughs> right <laughs> and doesn't like it anymore they got rid of their CDs yeah and I wound up finding like these two other weird drive-through records CDs as I like it made me dig more because I'm like what else oh. did this person sell like totally I, I want to know what else this person turned in because if they had this they might have x y and z you know yeah um and so i found like this cd from this band called the benjamins and darwin's waiting room like these things that you just don't really see much anymore um but back in the 90s we were all if you were a super nerd about any type of music you were mail ordering stuff from the inserts or special ordering or whatever to get this music um and now as those people have gone 20 plus years not using those cds they purge it and you can kind of use one cd as a roadmap to give you like like there's gold in these hills kind of thing yeah. <laughs> like, like you're just like i think i might find something really cool if i just look a little closer now um yes. 
so yeah, so that I I just flag that for any sort of collector nerd. I'm I'm assuming that most people have had an experience like that before. Um, but it is a it is a fun thing to feel like a kinship to a stranger. Um, it's a little sad because they got rid of that stuff, and so I'm buying it. You know, so yeah, uh, there there is a little bit of a oh you left us. Like I'm still here. Yeah, I want I, I want your stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I've seen stuff in the new arrivals bin and it's like why would you get rid of this yeah no but no yeah who knows <laughs> but you're gain right in a situation exactly like that, and that's like just that. i've sold stuff before i've yeah, i've purged you, you know yeah. there, there's plenty of reasons why and it could just be hey i'm, I'm not interested in this anymore whether it's yeah. the format or genre or you know you're interested in something else a lot more now and you want to lean that direction and you can only have so much stuff in a physical space so his collections can get unmanageable i mean (laughs) even my like 200 to 250 record vinyl collection got to the point where i was like i need to pare some of this down like i know there are people out there with thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of records but Mm -hmm. it's like i can't manage that personally right Right. it major props to the people who can it's real estate have the space for it (laughs) yeah it's real estate and it's just like we've had video game conversations or whatever where it's like am i same thing am i am i gonna use these am i gonna read these books you know keep the things that you want to be able to engage with but don't just grab for grabbing sake yeah. you know so there's, two, but to each there's only own. so much space <laughs> yeah to each their own and we're not again we don't gatekeep here so not if you want if you just want to surround yourself with cool stuff like go off and do it um yeah. and and in the vein of of not gatekeeping the other thing i just wanted to flag cuz there's a a story that by the time this comes out it it probably will have four more iterations but i think Given what we do here, I think that it's just worth making a, a quick comment about it. Um, so Jan Winner's not a household name, um, but he has become so in the past week or two. Um, he uh, is one of the co-founders of Rolling Stone magazine, obviously a very important publication. Um, he doesn't work there anymore, hasn't for a few years, but was integral in what Rolling Stone magazine uh, mm-hmm. did and their, their vision and editorial decisions for decades for the most arguably the most important eras of Rolling Stone because now right. it's just it's a website that holds some reverie but you know magazines are aren't what they used to be um, right. so uh, so this guy has always kind of been not the greatest you know there's always been stuff about how he's just not a, not an awesome person to work with but uh, as we've said, the other term gatekeeper of the industry. And when you have a really loud voice um, and that kind of impact on the artist's career, there's mm-hmm. pro- the pros and many cons that come with that. And yeah. so he's got a book coming out um, where he focuses on a handful of musicians that, as he frames it, are very important to him, but he classifies it as the masters. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's Springsteen and, and it's, you know, some of the people that you would you would expect. Right. Um, and in setup for this book um, and in preparation, he was pointedly asked why everybody that he's focused on in this book um, is a white dude, uh, an older white dude, but a white dude. Um, and he pushed back saying that such that like Joni Mitchell, for example, that he brought up didn't feel like he, he didn't, he kept using the word articulate. He was just like, um, 
that she she didn't represent or wasn't articulate enough to embody what his vision was for this project. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was it was pushed back. He was he you know he kind of bombed on Grace Slick and and Janis Joplin and their inabilities to like maybe have a cohesive conversation. He he said Joni's not a philosopher of rock and roll, and so she didn't meet the test of what he was trying to do. And then when they were talking about black artists, you know, he cited Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, Curtis Mayfield, but like he said again that they didn't, they just didn't quote unquote articulate at that level. So Mm. like you think about the building blocks of everything that we talk about here, and admittedly we're two white dudes talking about music, so like whatever. Um, But but we have pretty expansive tastes and, and interests and we make sure that we're, you know, as inclusive as we can be speaking to what we can speak to. Right. Um, and, uh, and so it, he's been right, you know, in, in my opinion, I should say rightfully so, held to task on this. There's yeah. a huge magnifying glass now back on Rolling Stone. Uh, you know, again, he's not there anymore but i feel bad for i feel i feel bad for the folks that are at that company at this point because what he has done is torched their reputation in many ways because everyone's looking back on this and they're like well the 40 plus years that he was there it it was run by a a racist a sexist something to that effect um and if you look at the history of it, it mtv had the same problem there was a great uh interview with david bowie where he pointedly asks one of the vjs like why don't you uh, why don't you feature more African-American people? Why isn't there more yep. black music on here? And they're just like, well, there's nothing that meets the cut. And and uh, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but Bowie kind of laughs at that and he's just like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. This is yes. insane. I, I know the clip you're talking about. Yeah, and that was really early on too. That was early 80s, if I'm not mistaken. That it was, was yeah, the- it was probably like second or third year of MTV's uh, run and like creating what... Uh, music videos were you know right um so yeah so the the curation um and and the 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 kind of stranglehold on what rock and rock and roll was i mean you think of like little richard or something to that effect and it's just like I mean, come oh on god where do you think rock um, and roll came from yeah, <laughs> james brown like it's it's wild to me um everybody knows this so he is also one of the co-founders of the rock and roll hall of fame um he is not part of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame anymore. I think uh, the way it was framed is he had decades uh, at the helm of Rolling Stone and then with one interview has lost everything. Like he, uh, within 24 hours, was removed from the board of directors of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame af- after those comments. Like he's, well, he's, he's gone. Yeah, like, and he shouldn't be making decisions on who gets held to that if that's his perspective. Like we now know he's put it in writing, his, his perspective, it is what mm-hmm. it is. And so that person then shouldn't probably have an impact on the culture of music or rock music or however you want to frame it. Um, So again, just as, as two people who are like pretty cognizant of, of what we're doing here and, and how we like to approach in our relationship with music um, personally, the, the artists that we talk about um, it just, to me felt important to kind of call this out um, yeah. And, and I have to, and again, maybe this is just my quote unquote privilege, but I, I have to hope that like, this is just indicative of change and not another bad actor. And, and, and there are 50 more behind him. Like, 
I think that it's important that this happened. It should have happened decades ago. I'm glad that it's happening and to be alive and a part of this community while it's happening. Um, And I hope that it's a sign that this is just not okay anymore. Like this, that's the old, the old guard or however you want to call it are being rightfully kind of sunset and pushed out and called called to action for uh, or accountability for, for their behavior over the years. And that's definitely happening. And you see it in other areas as well. Um, it's in, in other industries, creative industries. And um, it, the change probably isn't happening as quickly as it should or as quickly as sure. most of us would like to see it happening. But it, it is nice to see that it at least appears as though things are headed in the right direction. And yeah. it does make me, and I'm, I'm sure I don't want to speak for you, but you know, we, we both are fathers of daughters mm-hmm. and we want to see things going in a better direction, <clears throat> mainly for, for their sake and their generation. And, you know, people that have been marginalized for, for years and, and decades and centuries, it's, it's, it is nice to see at, at the higher level, cause the rock and roll hall of fame board of directors didn't necessarily need to give them the boot. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But, yeah. but they did. Yeah. And it's, you see the action right. to it. Yeah. Yes, the the there, action is important. Exactly. Actionable change. It change isn't change until something actually changes. Right. For sure. So it's, it is nice to see. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. That, yeah, I, I hadn't even you 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 sent me that uh you know little note about what you wanted to flag and on totally you know full transparency I had no idea yeah <laughs> it's like I saw that name and I was like Ooh. who's who's Jan like <laughs> yeah and that's <laughs> I, like, I don't and know who this know, person is <laughs> and hopefully it stays that way you know it's just not it's it's yeah it's 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 just an important note again as as two it's two white dudes who are sitting around with, you know, two microphones. Like everything has impact. Everything uh, has its butterfly effect. Yeah. And so it's it's just important that um, there's some accountability and empathy and thoughtfulness or mindfulness to, to what everybody's doing in a situation yeah. like that. And we, be- I mean, people younger than us, they don't give a rip about Rolling Stone. Like we, yeah. they don't yeah. care. That's, that's right. Yeah. And this does nothing. We barely to help care. That. Like, it's, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah, it used to, Oh, who's on the cover of Rolling Stone this month? Like, yeah. okay. Like that was kind of cool. 20 yeah. years ago. No, you but, and I are talking about like stereo gum and, and, and the, and the younger kids now are just like, excuse me, is that like a candy? What is that? You know, <laughs> <laughs> pitchfork is something that farmers used once. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but cool. So yeah, so that's, that's that. And, uh, yeah, let's, let's talk some blonde redhead. Heck yes. I'm super excited to talk about this group. Um, I will get into, you know, kind of when I jumped in mm-hmm. on my understanding and fandom of blonde redhead, um, which of like most people, when they start to develop their taste in music, uh, in usually, you know, late teens, early twenties, that time in your life, we've talked about this plenty of times before high school and college age. That's when for most people, it seems like you get a 
a solidification of like, okay, these are like your core entertainment. Uh, I don't know. Nuclei. I don't know what else to call it. It's like, yeah. okay, your tastes definitely change over time. As you get older, you go through different life experiences. You discover new things, things that you, a lot of things that you liked when you were a teenager are now just completely out the window. But I still think for most people, there's that core, uh, and, and particularly with music, uh, games to a certain extent, movies definitely to a certain extent, but I think more than any other medium with music, you, you develop such a emotional attachment and a relationship with these artists, uh, at that age that a lot of it sticks for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And to a certain extent, I think also shapes, you know, what you end up listening to and, and liking as your tastes evolve as you get older. Um, but for me, you know, blonde redhead, uh, popped in right at that college age. I was like 19. I was working at a record store or was Newbury comics. So comic books and records. And, uh, it hit, this is one of those bands that hit me like a ton of bricks. Like mm -hmm. where did these people come from? I cannot believe I've never heard of them before. And then just became obsessed. Um, and you don't, you only get that experience so many times in your life. I think, um, if, if you're lucky, maybe a dozen times in your life, you'll, you'll come across an artist that hits so hard and so close to home that you're just like, what was life like before I discovered this artist? Um, so blonde red has one of the, one of those artists for me. And, um, they, they kind of had a, a bit of a resurgence thanks to, uh, <laughs> thanks to a Rick and Morty episode really? where, yeah, it's, it's funny. And, and I might go into it a little bit deeper, but so like back in, I want to say it was 2014, mm -hmm. um, there was, um, no, no it must've been later than that. I'm getting my, I'm not a fan of Rick and Morty. I've actually never seen it. So I don't, I'm not on with the timeline of when that came out, but, um, they used a song. Uh, it's, it's like a final track on probably their most popular album. Um, and it's called for the damaged coda. It's, it's a coda of mm. an earlier song. Um, but it's just like one of the most melancholy melodies and saddest songs probably in existence and it doesn't have any actual lyrics it's it's vocalizations with piano and drums and it's just very emotional and they use it in rick and morty and it basically made its way into just meme status you know people use the audio and tiktoks and stuff to express like something tragic happening like wow. you know you you drop your ice cream on the ground and it splatters and it goes black and white in slow motion and then for the damaged coda kicks in and so th there's kind of been a little bit of a resurgence thanks to the tiktok generation mm -hmm. um an interest in, in their music. You know, if you go to Apple music, that is their top, you know, song on, <laughs> on Apple music. Uh, and you know, cause people hear it, they see what it is 
on TikTok or, or, you know, Instagram or YouTube shorts or whatever. And then, you know, people that are interested in music, they want to learn more. They'll go and listen to more of that artist. So again, we come up on this situation where TikTok and, and YouTube and, you know, the meme culture at large are kind of spurring these surges in interest in these bands that have been around for 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. And it's always funny to me. It never gets old seeing, you know, like why, (laughs) why is Gen Z or Gen Y interested in, in blonde redhead and Oh, Rick and Morty, which caused a a wave of memes and TikToks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's got a vibe that resonated with someone and they've, and there was a dance or a a move or something that you do on there. Right. Yeah. Something that you can connect with. So, yeah. Um, but let's, let's hop in the way back machine. We're, we're going to start from the very beginning. Um, so blonde redhead is a very, like I said earlier, very much a New York city band. Uh, the band formed by a chance meeting at a pizza place. Mm. What is, what's more New York than that? I mean, a band, a band is also, it's funny. Like they're, it's basically, it's a relationship. It's a, it's Absolutely. a, it's a, it's a business in many ways. And it's also a relationship. It's, it's, it's getting into business with your spouse. Uh, Absolutely. Multiple times over. Um, and so it is fun to hear stuff like that. Cause you're like, yeah, that's how you would, it's a meet cute, you know, it's like, it's totally. like exactly what you would see in some kind of rom-com or, or it is fiction story or whatever about a romance, but it's a band. And even more so in the blonde redhead story, because, uh, Amadeo and, uh, um, Kazu Makino who are still in the band, mm-hmm. They've been in a romantic relationship since before Blonde Redhead became really a band. Yes. Wow. So, so the band is Amadeo and Simone Pace. I'm going to pronounce it correctly because I'm Italian. Nice. You can you could say Pace. I'm Pace. not going to no, get upset it's, about it's it. Pace, but yeah. I'm going to pronounce it Pace because Go that's ahead. that's the correct pronunciation. Anyway, they are twin brothers, born in Milan, Italy, grew up in Montreal, studied jazz in Boston, and ended up in the New York City underground music scene because that's what you do you know you either go to school for jazz or you go to art school and then you go to new york city and you start a band that's just Mm -hmm. what you did yeah (laughs) but they have this chance meeting uh with two art students uh japanese art students kazu makino and maki takahashi uh they they meet at uh at, at a New York city Italian restaurant. I think I said pizza place. I think it was just an Italian restaurant. Um, they meet, they hit it off. Um, you know, Amadeo and Kazu start a relationship, but they form this band. And at the time, uh, they were, and even the name blonde redhead comes from a song, uh, by a, a no wave group called DNA. And, uh, this was early eighties. Um, I, I, I do want to, take a slight, not a rabbit trail, but a little bit of backstory on what no wave is. Please. And, um, you know, we, we, I think most people that are music fans know what new wave is or was, we talked about it with, you know, our, our last episode because we talked about the cars, we talked about talking heads. So that kind of new wave late seventies, early eighties, um, direction that punk kind of took or branched off of 
And no wave was kind of the anti new wave. And a lot of music fans at the time were not happy with the direction that punk was taking. It, it was getting more commercial. Uh, it was recycling a lot of rock and roll cliches. Yeah. Um, and they just wanted to continue going down a more subversive direction. Lots of noise. Um, you hear a lot of different names for it. Art punk, mm-hmm. noise punk, um, just a lot of noise dissonance. Um, a lot of, you know, squealing, screeching guitars and, um, noisy music. Yeah. Some it's screaming. Taking, taking the spirit of what punk is about rather than making it sonically align with something you're, you're taking that, yes. uh, that sort of defiant nature of it. Yeah. Exactly. So they, they wanted to continue down that path rather than make punk more palatable and listenable. Um, and for a lot of different reasons. Um, there was also some mingling of jazz influence in that uh, with some more so than just the four, four easy, simple rock and roll time signatures. Um, math rock has some roots in that. Um, so it was just a different way to express and, and this all started in the late 70s, early 80s in, in New York City. Mm-hmm. So No Wave was a very New York thing um, as kind of a counter to the New Wave pop punk that was happening at the time as well. Yeah, it's and, in line know, with some of the stuff we talked about in the CBGB's episode. Because yeah. what, what television sounded like and what Blondie sounded like and what the Ramones sounded like were all different iterations of what it meant to be punk. So yes. um, you had all these offshoots in a breeding ground like that. So it, it makes sense. And probably the biggest group that I think most people would would uh, recognize that came out of that was Sonic Youth. Um, lots of noisy guitars but not atonal. It doesn't lack in melody. There's some catchy stuff that they do, um, but it's it's very much rooted in that no-wave kind of avant-garde. Um, I'm going to make as many wild and insane sounds with these instruments as I possibly can. We're going to make a song out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Blonde Redhead came out of that, and if you listen to their earlier work, particularly you know the first two or three albums, um, you can absolutely hear a lot of that Sonic Youth type of uh, influence. I don't know to what... Now, granted, there's got to be some connection there because they were more or less discovered by the drummer from Sonic Youth. Yeah. Without that, there, there probably wouldn't have been a chance for for them to get the attention that they that they received early on. Yeah, I mean, um, he put out their some of their records, right? Um, it was on Smells Like Records, which was yes. The first two albums were on Smells Like, yeah. And so you know, who knows? You can opine and and you know, oh, they would have eventually made it, but you never know. A lot of these, uh, a lot of these artists, it was just yes. The the talent was there, and the fact that they were doing something new and interesting was there but as we all know it's still just winning the lottery to Mm. get to the point where you can get noticed and get your music out there get people interested in your music and to you know more or less take off 
Um, but they did that. They, they released two albums in 95. Uh, the first album was the quartet, the, the, uh, the two twin brothers, Amadeo and Simone, and then Kazu and Maki. Now Maki Takahashi quit the band after the first album. And it's funny, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine. We're talking about Blonde Redhead because that's all I've been listening to for the past week in preparation <laughs> for this, which has been fantastic. Um, but we were talking about like, I wonder if certain people who were in earlier iterations of bands that went on to become much larger, if they have any like regrets <laughs> about leaving the band. <laughs> that's yeah. always something interesting to think about when you look at the history of some of these artists and, you know, the the makeup of the band changes for one reason or another. And it's like, well, if they left the band willingly, do you think they have any regrets about that? Yeah, willingly is, is I think, a very strong qualifier. I was going to say uh, just a slight teaser here, but in our next episode, that is something that's going to yeah. come up. Because um, there's a, a very popular song that sounds like it's about a romantic relationship, um, but it's actually about a drummer who had to be kicked out of a band. Yeah. And and there's been interviews with him since where he was like, yeah, they did the right thing. Like, I, what, am, what are you going to do? It, it sucks to see it go on the way it yeah. is, but it was it was the right move even um dolly parton singing i will always love you that is not about a romantic oh relationship yeah that, that was, was about uh, yeah. her basically breaking up with her creative partner Port- yeah yeah porter <laughs> wagner yeah yeah so yeah it goes back very far um but back on track so two albums in their first year of putting out albums uh, in 1995 they more or less formed in 93, 94, um, those first two albums came out in 95. Um, the, I probably would not recommend anyone to start there, to start their Blonde Redhead journey. Um, but they're definitely worth listening to. And especially if you're a fan of Sonic Youth or any type of that uh, level of angular, noisy, um, still rhythmically driven music. You know, you could look back at bands like Gang of Four, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, then then it's going to be enjoyable, but it's not where I would recommend anyone to start their Blonde Redhead journey. Okay. Um, the third album is where things start to go in a little bit of a different direction. It's definitely still got that no wave noise rock root in it. Um, but you kind of start to hear them come into their own sound. You know, when you listen to a band that has a very signature sound, like you hear two bars and you know who it is, even Mm -hmm. if it's something you've never heard before that this is where you kind of start to see them form that and come out and start to come away from that more noisy, no wave and, uh, noise rock sound interesting because um, i i was gonna say like one thing about this band for my context my limited context has always been that like i guess i could discern if a song's a blonde redhead song like if you if you said to me what do you think this is like i could probably figure it out mm-hmm. but i also have heard so many different 
types of sounds in my in my knowledge of whatever songs I know by this band. Right. That there's not a consistency to what they're going to present to you. So totally. it, it it does feel like uh like the cherry notes in wine where you're like you need to like I'm not going to taste that unless somebody explains to me like right. where that is <laughs> and when that is and you train your brain or you you learn from appreciation right. to to hear these little the the subtle notes to it all. Yeah, and they're definitely one of those bands where you could be a fan of these albums but not that album. And there's there's a lot of bands like that where they evolve and they are willing to try different things. Mm -hmm. Um, There's still kind of an overarching sonic fingerprint, but, you know, I could definitely see somebody being into, you know, these later albums, but not the early albums or vice versa. Some bands aren't like that at all. Some bands just like, they sound like who they are and they don't change very much sonically. And there's nothing wrong with that. You, you are in your wheelhouse and you know what you're doing and Mm -hmm. you don't stray from it too much. Mm -hmm. Um, but this is not one of those bands. Blonde Redhead clearly evolves and changes uh, over time, but it's not a drastic change. It's never a huge departure from the previous album. It's never an entirely different genre or anything like that. They don't go off and make a country album. They're they're basically within that um, that same sonic fingerprint. Mm-hmm. Um, but the third album is where it starts to take shape and um third and fourth albums are on touch and go which if um you know you were a music fan in the late 90s early 2000s touch and go was huge yeah lots of you know that's one of those labels where you could be like oh i like everything that this label puts out and i'm discovering all this new music just because they're on the same label And there was a lot of that, but touch and go was, was huge for me. I discovered so much music in the late nineties and early two thousands, just simply because they had the touch and go label. Um, but, uh, the third album is called fate can be just as good. It's a great listen. It's got enough of the noisy, no wave stuff, but as they start to lean more into the melodic and melancholy side of things, uh, it, a unique sound starts to take shape. And obviously, you know, this was their first album on touch and go. So they were getting attention. Um, touch and go promoted their, their bands quite well. I think, um, they didn't sign nobodies really. Mm -hmm. They were very, very good about finding a particular sound and these up and comers and, and pushing them up. Um, so I don't know if they would have gone to the, the heights that they did, um, particularly with their next album, um, an expression of the inexpressible, which, is probably the album that most people would recognize. It's got the, for the damaged coda, which, you know, went viral with the, after the Rick and Morty Mm -hmm. use. Um, and that album came out in 2000 and, um, they actually tapped, uh, Guy Picciotto of Fugazi to produce it. Oh, wow. And you can hear it. It's, it's, uh, a lot more cohesive. It still has that, Fugazi fingerprint, which mm-hmm. is 
a very DIY uh, aesthetic. It's and that was on Touch and Go as well. Yes. Okay. Third and fourth albums were on Touch and Go. Um, and then Guy would go on to produce their next couple of albums too, because that working relationship worked so well and that album was so successful. That's where I jumped in okay. on Blonde Redhead. I was working gotcha. at uh, Newbury Comics, a coworker put it on. It was around this time of year. It was probably late September or October. Um, I was relatively new to working there and, um, there was so much pressure, probably needlessly so, but you know, when you work at a record store, at least the way that we worked out, you always had an album playing and you, you know, you would put on the whole album, but you would take turns with whoever was working at the time to put on an album. And for me, it was, it was so much pressure. Cause I was like, um, I was, you know, 18, 19, you know, I wanted to be accepted by these slightly older, way cooler and hipper people, uh, that had been working at the record store a lot longer than me. And it was just this funny dynamic of, okay, well, what am I going to put on? Like, I don't want to put on something that's too obscure. I don't want to put on something that's too mainstream. And um, I asked one of my coworkers who'd been working there a long time, again, slightly older, definitely cooler, uh, wasn't too much, wasn't too difficult to be cooler than me, (laughs) (laughs) nor is it uh, still. But, uh, but I was like, Hey, um, I just had happened as I was putting, putting uh, CDs away or putting them out on the floor. I saw blonde redhead and I saw the, the touch and go, um, logo. Mm -hmm. And I just asked my coworker, I was like, Hey, have you heard this? And he was like, yeah, that's a fantastic, like fall winter record. Uh, we should put it on. So he put it on and, I don't think I got any work done for the rest of that day. I was just like, I don't know how I ever got any work done there because there was constant music and just being bombarded by new music. And I credit working there to a lot of the, you know, musical tastes that I still carry on to this day. Um, But that was a really big moment for me. Can I ask? I have two yeah. two aside questions, real quick, because I never I never got to live my dream of working in a record store. Uh-huh. Uh, at least not at least not yet. Um, not yeah. Did you just crack open a CD if it was just like we want to listen to it? Like, did you just like pull it off the shelves, pop the the plastic off, and toss it in? Not very often with new CDs. Okay, I was gonna say that occasionally. Seems, yeah. Um, the, the pop, if the... it was something that we didn't get a promo for, cause we'd get uh-huh. tons of promo CDs uh, and they it. would always have like a little hole punched out, like a little, mm-hmm. you know, so that you couldn't you find sell those it. in the used bin. Yeah. Yes. You find a lot yeah. of those in the used bin. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if it was something that we didn't get a, a promo or a demo for, and it was, you know, something that we knew that one of us was probably just going to go ahead and purchase. Yeah. Um, yeah, we would crack it open for sure. But but seemingly and, you're more likely to get promos from a Universal or Sony like Interscope or something like that as opposed to like, I, I mean, it depends on how Touch and Go at the time was about 
sending promo copies out like that's such a that, that's a thing that they had to like indie labels would have had to be really on top of potentially because the big we guys used to have to, to actually request promo copies mm, um like as the store employees the you know the corporate office didn't yeah um I can't remember exactly the situation with touch and go, but we would definitely, you know, we would have relationships with whoever the people were uh, at the labels in charge of that kind of thing. And we, we would literally just contact them and request promo copies of whatever new stuff was in their catalog. And uh, yeah, they would just ship it out. And, you know, we had a little collection of promo CDs behind the counter that would be in rotation. And there was no, there was never any, not from the labels, not from mm-hmm. corporate or anything. There was no, it was the wild west as far as what we would play in the store. It was literally, Hey, it's your turn. Put on an album. When that album's over, it's the next person's turn. Wow. Whatever you want. That's so, so rad. <laughs> sometimes I would just browse the used section and be yeah. like, Oh, let's listen to this and pop it on. Um, Dude. You could go from a tribe called Quest to yeah. Weird Al to um, Ramones, like to Blonde Redhead, like whatever. It was it was so uh, it was so open, just whatever. So All right. um, that's that's awesome. I, I didn't mean to derail the conversation. No, no. You, I we should. I I want to talk about more of working in a record store on a future episode. I'm going to make a note to myself because I have other questions too, but nothing that <laughs> pertains to this. So. Well, it's a big, I mean, it's a big part of this episode because that was my blonde redhead experience, you know, sitting in the, or standing, pretending to be, you know, putting CDs away, listening to this album that I'd never heard before. And just like, Oh my God, this is my new favorite band. Mm-hmm. Like, this is incredible. So I bought the CD that day and listened to it the whole way home and probably multiple times brought it inside and listened to it as I fell asleep. Mm. And it was just instantaneous connection. Cool. And that album in particular, um, um, Melody of Certain Damaged Lemons is what it's mm-hmm. called. Yeah. Their fifth album, actually. I think I misspoke. So, no, no, no. No, I was right. So, the fourth album in an expression of the inexpressible uh, really start to push things in that more melodic direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, Guy of Fugazi came on to produce. Um, he also co-produced Melody of Certain Damaged Lemons. This is the big album that most people would recognize um, has a couple other more, more recognizable songs and the, uh, that final track, the, for the damaged coda that was used in Rick and Morty. So this is kind of, this is where I recommend people to start. Cause it's got a little bit of everything. It's got some of the weirdness. It's got the noise. It's got guitars. It's got synthesizers. It's got a good mix of everything that they do. It's got some of the loud, yelling, noisy, um, dissonant noise rock. It's got some very slow, melodic, um, melancholy sounds. It's It's got a little bit of everything. This is where I came in. It's, believe it or not, at the end of the day, after this many years, not my absolute favorite album of theirs, mm-hmm. but 
it's an extremely close second. And the only reason why I think is because their next album just hit, it hits me harder personally. Um, and it's more cohesive, I guess it's less a little bit of everything from their sonic catalog, I guess you could call it and more focused and leans a lot more into the melodic and melancholy side of things. Um, and, uh, a lot of that, uh, album is essentially about, um, Amadeo and, um, Kazu's relationship. Mm. Um, I don't think they're officially married. They've just been in a romantic relationship for 30 years, longer than the band has been a band. Um, So a lot of that uh, history is present in that record. Um, And there was kind of a long delay in between Melody of Certain Damaged Lemons and their next album, the sixth album. Okay. Kazu had a, 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 a horse incident. She, I, I couldn't find too much Jesus. information about it, but she ended so up many being things trampled. That that could be. Oh. I know. No, she was trampled by a horse. She, she oh. had to recover. It, it was like a years long recovery um, after this incident uh, where she was more or less trampled by, by a horse. And um, it, it, uh, it, it caused a longer than intended Cause you know, when you have a record that is more or less an indie hit, like they had with melody of certain damaged lemons, um, you kind of want to, or, or at least pushed by the label, if nothing else to have a follow-up quicker, you know, sooner rather than later. For sure. Yeah. And so that may have kind of hurt their, um, buzz a little mm-hmm. bit. Because I didn't know about this record until quite a bit later on, I, you know, really? they didn't because they didn't put anything out. It, it was it was four or five years, yeah, uh, between Melody and uh, the the fifth album. I'm wow. sorry, the, the the sixth album, Misery of Misery is a Butterfly, is the name of it, right? And uh, a lot of that album, the lyrical content anyway, stems from uh, Kazu's experience recovering from that accident. Um, you know, there's a lot, I mean, misery is right there in the title of the album. Yeah. And so there's a lot of imagery about, you know, her being in a room and, and misery is just floating around her. And, you know, a lot of their music is, is a little on the dark side and definitely melancholy to begin with, but this one definitely leans into that quite a bit. So Um, you, you found out about this though, you said a little later after it came, it was released. Right, because so Melody of Certain Damaged Lemons was my jam for like yeah. years. Right. Um, amazing winter record, amazing night driving record. And Blonde Redhead as a whole is that type of yeah sound. It's not the type of band that you can just throw on when you're doing dishes or, That's or right. whatever. You gotta, it's, it's a vibe. You have yes. to be in the right place at the right time. Yep. Um, it's night driving. It's a cold, dark winter. Mm-hmm. You're feeling reflective, whatever the case may be, or you're going on a walk and you're a little sad. It's, it's that kind of music. So you got to be in the headspace for it. Or otherwise it's just not going to hit it. And yeah. that happens to me too, even as a big fan of theirs. 
you have to be in the headspace for it. Otherwise it's just like, nah, I don't feel like this right now. And you go on to something else. Yeah. Um, but for me at the time and very, very often throughout my life, that album hit so hard. Yeah. And, um, but then because of the length of time between that and the sixth album, misery is a butterfly. I just kind of fell off. I moved on to something else. I was still working at the record store. There was new music coming out all the time. And then 2001 happened and the strokes happened. And so kind of just fell by the wayside a little bit for me. Yeah. I was going to say, cause my context for this band <clears throat> is, uh, is sort of like tertiary or outer limits of the world that I got pulled into in New York at the time, like when, when we talked about doing this episode, you have those little like weird contextual nodes in your head that you start right. going to. And for me, it's Fever to Tell by Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's, Interpol's, yep. Antics, uh, Boxer by The National. Like there was this movement in New York again that wasn't exactly what the strokes was like they were all affected by the fact that the strokes blew up right. and put a spotlight on rock music from new york but none of those bands really sounded like the strokes they were a different type of as we've been saying like post-punk or yes. the after effects of what punk was um but for me like this is when I heard th I heard their name in connection or association with this movement. I heard right. songs because it was on a mix CD with those bands. Exactly. Um, so they like they, this is when they come to prominence in my mind is mm -hmm. around this time because they get swept up in this movement. It's just hard to get swept up in a movement that doesn't really have. Uh, uh, a, 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 a firm style or sense right. of itself. It's more just like this is a new interpretation of rock. You know? Totally. Totally. So, yeah. And I think I'm, I'm obviously now speculating, but I feel like if she hadn't had that incident with the horse that had such a long recovery time, which, you know, put off them making new music and putting new music out. If they had put an out al another album out on the heels of melody of certain damaged lemons in like 2002, they probably would have, really been up there with you know the bands you mentioned strokes White stripes. And yeah exactly all it, it, it it's because it, it's still that same ilk it's that you know indie rock a uh, little bit different than what we were used to a really fresh sound right and i really think if they had put an album out in 2002 it it would have been up there with like you mentioned interpol like mm -hmm. interpol leaned more into that the melancholy you know there's all those comparisons to um uh new order and mm -hmm. um god my brain the band that it before they became new order <laughs> joy division <laughs> yes joy yeah. division yeah. someone's gonna ream me on twitter for that no but no, 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 no. <laughs> we're not talking about joy division we're talking about no. blonde redhead yeah um but i really think they would have ridden that wave and been a lot yeah. more popular um, had they been able to do that and put out well, another album in 2002. It, especially because, again, my context being limited, but there are so many different sounds that when you think of some of the bands that did have their crossover success, um, Modest Mouse comes to mind, where like mm -hmm. 
if you listened to if you heard that modest mouse song float on like that was a smash and then if you bought the album it wasn't all that like no (laughs) the fingerprints were in there and Mm -hmm. there was stuff to be to to be enjoyed for sure but it was more of a challenge instead of uh 12 songs that sound the same same thing with like death cab you know like those bands that like you you there was a the point of entry that uh then you had to kind of buy your ticket and and trust the band to show you stuff arcade fire right. comes to mind same way um but blonde redhead does seem rife for that because there's so many different sounds this yes. every song is kind of different on that i've heard so Very much any so. number of those like when you have a band that's erratic's the wrong word but like diverse in their stylings yes you could easily just have them land something right in the bullseye of what hits the the cultural zeitgeist i feel like arctic monkeys are like that where it's like yeah. you had two or three songs that just hit and like my my cousin knows them you know like mm-hmm. my old cousin knows who they are but like it's not you don't go into the deep cuts there it's not as right. much yeah no, you're you're spot on. Blonde Redhead is definitely one of those one of those bands, and they definitely have songs that would have worked really well and fit into that you know that guitar driven indie rock sound. Now, again, like you mentioned, the whole album wouldn't have been like that, mm-hmm. but um, it would have been an entry point for a lot more people. Um, but but Misery is a Butterfly ends up being my favorite album of theirs. Okay. Um, obviously, there's a lot of sadness, um, but I I do think it's their most... This isn't... I don't think this is why it's my favorite necessarily, but I think it's their most sonically cohesive album. M- most of the tracks on that album are a lot closer together in style and just sonically than most of their albums. Um, particularly coming after melody, which is very diverse in sound, lots of different types of sounds coming out of that. Um, it's a sad record. I mean, there's, there's no, <laughs> there's no two ways about it. It's beautiful. I mean, given it's the an, context of, of what, what it's about. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Um, but it, you know, so again, it, it, you don't have to be in a melancholy mood to enjoy it. But it's it's definitely that, like I said, wintertime, night driving, uh, in a reflective state, or just late at night, whatever, that type of thing. Because um, you, you need artists like that. It's necessary. You, <laughs> you got to have your night driving artists. And um, yeah, Misery is, is another, I think, really good place to start. If for someone that wants to discover if they like Blonde Redhead or not, mm-hmm. or if it's something that's going to mean a lot to them. So those two probably, because Melody is diverse and has a lot of the noisy stuff as well. And it's um, got pretty much a little bit of everything. It's, it, it's like the sampler platter of Blonde Redhead sounds. And then Misery is the heavy melancholy um, aftermath of that mm-hmm. <laughs> coming down off of the um, like you said, not, not erratic, but just so diverse in what yeah. they were doing in the studio. 
it's that it's misery a, it's is a, a lot more focused. Yeah, it's not. It's it's an experiment, not album to album, but almost song to song. Sometimes on yeah. on some of these. And then uh, that was the, I think, last time that they worked with uh, Guy of Fugazi. Um, the seventh album is called Twenty Three. Um, came out in two thousand and seven. Mm-hmm. They um, they signed a deal with Four AD, and I think two or three albums with them, and they actually. Uh, forwent hiring a producer this time around. This was their their first album where they were like, you know what, we're gonna do this on our own. We're not gonna hire a producer. Mm-hmm. We're going to hone ourselves as creators and not have the outside influence of another creative type shaping the sound. Because like it or not, a producer does shape the sound to a certain extent. Yeah. And we've talked about that before, too. Is, 100%. You know, producers do put their fingerprint on their production. It's it's impossible for them not to. Yeah. Um, so it was a little bit of an experiment for them. They went in. Um, and an, another thing that they were playing with at the time is they actually went into these recording sessions for 23 without the songs even really being fully finished yet. They weren't Mm. fully written. Um, You know, most bands, I think probably the professional thing to do, especially if you're paying for the studio time and you've got other people there that are, you know, doing their jobs is to have the songs down, have it rehearsed and you know, what's going to happen and the producer knows what's going to happen and you just record it. Um, what they did opposite of that is to go into it without a producer and without the songs even being, you know, completely written yet. And what that allowed them to do is to capitalize on this kind of tension and a certain energy. I don't know how to describe it as a, as a musician. I think the, probably the only thing that, I could compare it to is if you have to do any kind of public speaking and you might have some notes or some bullet points, but you don't, you're not reading verbatim from like a a written speech. There's a certain energy to that because there's a spontaneity that you have to feed off of. Mm -hmm. And it's a different kind of energy. You know, if you're reading verbatim from a teleprompter, you know, you're watching the news or something where they're, you know, they're a human being, they're there, but them or somebody else wrote those words already. And they're simply speaking it and presenting it in the most professional way they can. And this is not what they did. And so there is a lot of tension in a lot of their music, um, stemming obviously from the, the no wave, noise rock side of things, but also, you know, Amadeo and, uh, Simone being twin brothers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're not always getting along. They're at each other's throats sometimes. Yeah. And then you throw in the other dynamic of Amadeo and Kazu being in a relationship. And it's like, there's already tension built into that. (laughs) Yeah. That's insane. 
So, and Kazu's always like, I have, they're fighting more often than anything else. And I have to try to, you know, play referee to, to these two Italian dummies that are, that are constantly fighting because they're brothers. Yeah. You know, I have no idea what that's like fighting with an Italian brother, <laughs> but, <laughs> and it's like, it's so funny, the dynamic, because there's so much love there and you would do anything for that person. But like being brothers is just that there's just that dynamic. You know what I mean? It's like you, you fight with them because you love them so much. Right. And so it's just really interesting to hear that kind of come through in such a way where it's still so cohesive and the, the chemistry of what they're able to do sonically with just three people is just insane. It's amazing to me what they're able to do. And it, yeah, it especially is crazy comes that it's a trio. through. Yeah. yeah. They, they, you know, I think with the second album, they, they just kind of had uh, a, a bassist come in to, to fill in. But after that, there's just straight up trio. And we, we come into 2010 into their eighth album, Penny Sparkle, which as the name implies, leans heavy into the more dream pop and shoegaze type of sound. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful album, but it doesn't hit me, at least not emotionally, like Misery is a Butterfly does. It's a very good album. Would not be a bad place for someone to get into them, especially if you would like something a little bit more cohesive yeah. and not as all over the place. Um, can't go wrong with misery is a butterfly or 23 or, or penny sparkle. Those yeah. three right there are probably the most sonically cohesive, very much leaning into the melancholy melodic. Um, it's sad music. I mean, there's no, <laughs> I keep dancing around it, but it's sad music. Like you yeah. can't get away from that. But it's beautiful. Yeah, it. I. I. I my context is mainly twenty three. Like I th- I've as I'm looking through the track mm-hmm. listings on these, like album. I think I've heard the most from twenty three. So I agree. Like that's kind of that was my entry point, if you call it that, of mm-hmm. or at least my contextual notes to to their sound. Um, I don't think I've heard anything on Penny Sparkle as I'm looking at this, and now I I feel like I just knowing my proclivities to go. Mm-hmm. Um, like I usually stray away from the early rougher edges. I right. like a, cl- a clean sheen on my bands yes. often. Um, so I, I feel like maybe Penny Sparkle is my next move here. Yeah. I think 23 and Penny Sparkle are the cleanest sheen for sure. <laughs> I think Penny Sparkle, I I don't have the notes on who produced it um, in front of me, but it looks like they did it themselves. Like I've seen, no, they did, it seems like there's a couple people, again? but a lot of it's themselves. Yeah. But I would I would call Penny Sparkle their most um, relatively sparklingly produced album. Okay. <laughs> it sounds like a pop album. Uh, well, maybe that's going a little bit too far. It's really well produced. It's it's sparkly. <laughs> it's aptly named. Yeah. Um, but it's still very much Blonde Redhead. It's not all that different sonically from their previous two albums. Right. But it's definitely more it's got more of a production sheen to it which is why it's surprising that they did they really self-produce that that's wild to me if if so yeah it looks like there's a couple people who were involved that are listed mm-hmm. here but the the liner notes makes it seem like it was it was them and then a few others kind of punched in on certain yeah. things that did the mixing and whatnot 
very much a dream pop album. If, if you're into beach house or any of those type of, you know, more modern, uh, dreamy shoegazy pop groups, you're going to like Penny Sparkle. It's almost inevitable. I am seeing, Um, I don't know this name, but Alan Mulder is listed as a producer, but mainly a mixing engineer for this. And I'm looking at his credentials and he's, he did, he engineered a lot of the, my bloody Valentine stuff. A lot of that early, uh, like lush and all of those, uh, oh, Jesus yeah. and Mary chain. So it seems so, like, it seems like they align themselves with the right people to, to make this album. Well, definitely, you know, speaks to the shoegaze, mm-hmm. uh, aspect of that record. Yeah. Um, cause I wouldn't really put any of their other albums into that dream pop shoegaze category so much. Um, but yeah, that one in particular, you know, the production is, and it's not overproduced. I don't want to make it sound like, you know, it's a, it's a squeaky clean pop record, mm-hmm. but compared to the rest of their catalog, it is very well produced and shiny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds shiny. It just does. Um, But then a few years later, they completely subvert what they did on Penny Sparkle and we get Baragon which is their by far their most stripped down and minimalist sound it's very quiet it almost sounds like they're like recording outside like in the woods like <laughs> it's just super quiet and very much uh less guitar driven a uh, little bit more you know when i say synth it's not it's not a synth heavy record, but it's just less guitar driven, um, very rhythmic, but just more quiet. It's stripped down. Um, wouldn't call it an acoustic record, but it's definitely their, their most stripped down record. And so, um, it, it got some mixed reviews. There were some, there were some critics and some people that felt like, Oh, they're just, you know, changing it up for the sake of changing it up. Uh, you know, uh, this feels directionless or, or whatever the case may be. I just think you go as a, as a creative type, as a musician, you, you get to different points in your life and you're ready to do something different or you just go to create and something different comes out. A different thing comes out of you than what came out of you before. Yeah. And they're at least willing to explore that. And, um, you know, this is not a record that I would recommend to a first time listener or someone, you know, trying to get into them mm-hmm. until you like see it and are able to listen to it in the context of the rest of their catalog. Um, I love it. It's a very good album. It's probably other than like the first two, it's probably my least listened to since the, the, uh, 2000 melody of certain damaged lemons. Uh, but I, I really love it. It's a very, very good album. Um, it's hard to kind of talk about what the headspace would be for getting into that record. Mm -hmm. That's probably, that's a blonde redhead fan album. Okay. (laughs) You kind of have to already be a fan of, blonde redhead and appreciate what they do and kind of understand where they're going with it, where it's like, Hey, this is still the blonde redhead sound, but it's very stripped down to its most 
bear components. So if you got in at 23 Penny Sparkle and then you waited a few years for another Blonde Redhead album, mm-hmm. this isn't what you were expecting then. Right. And, and it's going to challenge you. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little challenging. I think that's why it did get some mixed reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, it It's one of those grower albums. It's a grower, not a shower, <laughs> Liam, is what yeah, I'm saying. I got <laughs> it's it. A, it's one of those. Where you got to listen to it a few times, and it will get its claws in you, but mm-hmm. it's not an immediate. It doesn't have the immediacy that most of their other records have. Um, But yeah, a short, you know, Shortly after that, um, that's when the Rick and Morty thing happened and, mm-hmm. you know, they blew up, uh, on, in the meme verse. <laughs> and so I can, I can also look at that. Oh, okay. That that's pointing back to their 2000 album mm-hmm. and, you know, Baragon just gets kind of forgotten and gets buried. Everyone's clamoring for the, the old sound quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know if, I don't know how much they were aware of that, um, but they kind of don't do a whole lot blonde redhead wise Mm -hmm. for the next few years. Uh, I think they put out a box set and a small EP within those few years after Baragon. But it, I mean, to the point that Kazu had the opportunity to put out her first solo album, which came out in 2019. I saw that. Um, it's it's a cool album. Uh, again, I think it's one of those where I wouldn't probably recommend it unless you're mm-hmm. already a blonde redhead fan looking for um, more. Okay. See, because my thing that I saw about it, and now I want to listen to it more so, mm-hmm. is that the keys uh, and sort of like the other orchestration on it that wasn't percussive, mm-hmm. um, field recordings and whatnot, it was all handled by Ryuichi Sakamoto, who I have fallen in love with, uh, and he just passed. Oh, there um, you go. Uh, from Yellow Magic Orchestra in my like weird Japan uh, rabbit holes. Like I'm yeah. looking through these notes and I'm like, oh, I know that name. That's cool. I mean, he does off the wall stuff. So I'm not surprised that he would partner with someone like her. Mm-hmm. But um, now I'm like, I just want to hear that because it's, uh, it's a That's legacy awesome. of, of him, uh, a recent recording of him while he was recovering from cancer at the time. Um, like that, I got to check that out. And I also saw that the guy from Adams for peace, the percussion player from Adams for peace played on that as well. So it seems like she, Oh yes, that's right. She mm-hmm. put together a really cool, like, uh, very alt, like yeah. off the beaten path <laughs> collective to just like, uh, you know, make a, an art project basically, but for sure. I want to check and that out. Yeah. So yeah, it, it is, it is the, the music, the deep cut music fans album for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so in, in a similar vein, as I would say, Baragon is in, in terms of blonde redhead. Um, so there's new music that's, going to be out or is out depending on when you're listening to this coming out very very soon Um, september 29th is the new 10th album uh called sit down for dinner and has there been reaction to any songs that have come out that you're aware of like well my reaction is overwhelmingly positive (laughs) is it okay that's cool um there's there's a there's two or three tracks that are available to listen to now 
uh, before the full album comes out as is kind of the norm these days, which is cool. I like that mm-hmm. quite a bit. They don't, people don't really release singles so much anymore. Yeah. Although that kind of may be coming back. I've seen yeah. some groups drop singles. I mean, like, there's a lot of that now because of streaming that like some, some groups are, are starting to just do singles and not even release albums. So it's, yeah. it's really all over the place. Um, but yeah, they, they did release two or three, um, new songs. So the, the leading song, which I guess if you could call it a single, um, is called snowman. And as soon as I heard it, just that, that first, you know, 20, 30 seconds, I'm like, Oh man, they're back. Like, all right. <laughs> it, it sounds like, you know, going back to that misery is a butterfly 23, that blonde redhead sound. And, That's exciting. Um, you know, I would have been happy with anything. I would have been happy with more experimental stuff or more of the same stripped down sound from Baragon. But yeah. obviously, as as someone who came into my blonde redhead fandom in the early 2000s, it's a huge win for for me. And I think yeah. it's just it's that one of those return to form albums that, you know, any artist that has been around for 30 years um because 10 albums in 30 years is a pretty good clip and that's even counting the fact that this has been nine years since their last album right since their last full record right and so that's even if you don't count the fact that there's a nine-year gap between this album and the last one 10 records in 30 years is pretty darn good yeah most bands don't even hit that yeah, Pace. although Adam at in 2001 or 2002 and Adam in 2023 are going to be two very different people. So it's it is I mean, but the band are different people. Like you're you're growing totally. with your your music as we're we're talking about in most of these contexts. So yeah. um it is I, I'm excited to hear like you know, digest it for a while. We go a couple weeks or months or whatever and then see how it stuck for you when we do our end of the year conversation like mm-hmm. this is one that I'm I'm going to check back in I feel like and see where it landed for for you this year. Definitely. Yeah, and I'm I'm super excited to hear is it going to be a cohesive record where all of the songs are more or less in that same avenue or is it going to be all over the place and we're just hearing one or two that sound a little similar. So, that'll be interesting. Um, I really want to go They're touring, of course, for the album. I want to go see them. They're playing locally next month. Uh, and that's going to be one that I have to, you know, put everything aside to make sure that I, <laughs> that I go, I go have that experience. Cause, yeah, cause th- you don't know what this band's going to do next. I mean, that's uh, yeah. given the nature of it, it seems. And also just that there were some real gaps between things, you know, you, you could take for granted the fact that, Oh yeah. Okay. Coldplay's probably going to tour in two years. So if I don't see Coldplay now, I can just go see him another time. Um, there are machines and then there's this where, even if you don't see this show and you see them four years from now, it won't be mm-hmm. the same show. You don't know what you're you're yeah. getting. It's not a, a different staging. It's a completely different sound. It's a different yes. band. And unfortunately, the unfortunate reality of, well, life in general is that, um, and we've talked about this quite a bit lately, mm-hmm. but, you know, 
age and time doesn't really stop. And yeah. at any time, you know, you could have a situation where they lose a member and yeah. it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's terrible to even think about, but it's, it's just a fact of this life that we, yep. <laughs> that we're all experiencing. Yeah. You gotta and celebrate the moment. Exactly. So yeah. that is, uh, blonde redhead as concisely as I could possibly That's fantastic. put it. And I think now it's just going to be a matter of, how do we get Liam into the right <laughs> shoe <headspace> gaze <laughs> without anything tragic happening? Of course, yeah, of but course, yeah. We need to get Liam into needing to hear some sad music. Yeah, I had somebody, <laughs> I had somebody the other day say like, "Hey, did you check out the? I think Slow Dive the album was pretty recently." Um, and somebody was like selling me hard on how great it was. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to be sad. Like, I You're right. <laughs> but maybe it's not sad. Maybe I'm. It's unfair to like assume a sound or assume something from that. So, right. um, no, I at 23. I have some familiarity with, so I think I'll go back and go through 23, and then kind of frame it around um, around misery. Like, go back. I'll go to. I'll. I'll try the what's the lemons one you were talking about? Yeah, I'll try, melody I'll try of certain the, damaged lemons. I don't know if I'm going back beyond that. I'll go to I'll go to damaged lemons. Um, See, I don't know that you necessarily have to. Although, okay. I'll try it. I'll although, it man, I I listened to in an expression of the inexpressible the fourth album mm-hmm. more so in this past week than I probably ever have, and it's really good. Okay. Okay. Um, so if you do enjoy melody i don't think it's a huge departure to go back because you know that's touch and go uh gee from fugazi producing it's a really good record so um i can still recommend that um but probably only if you listen to melody and you're like i want more of this sound from them um because it's different it's not the shoegaze dreamy sound um, but yeah, absolutely listen to melody, listen to misery. You don't have to be sad to listen to it. We're coming into some colder weather. Fall yeah. is coming. You know what I mean? So it's a really good cold weather, fall, winter, I night like driving. A drive. Yeah, yeah. I like a drive. Or a walk on the beach when you're just feeling yeah. reflective or whatever. I love it. Um, they're fantastic for that. Um, cool. I think the only thing some people, um, some people struggle with, I don't know how really to articulate this, but it's, it's not the, their vocalizations and the singing between, you know, it going back and forth between Kazu and Amadeo, they both sing and, you know, he's got, you know, they were, they were born in Italy. He's, de- he's got an accent. Mm-hmm. She was born in Japan. She has an accent yeah. and they're, they're not like what you would traditionally consider to be quote unquote good singers. <laughs> there's an, there's an indie rock, um, and some punk aspect to their vocal sound. So, 
that is something for people to keep in mind as well if they're coming into this. Have an open mind about the vocals. Yeah. Because, it's you know, it's... Yeah, you get used to one person singing, and I know that the songs that I know, I, I, was, I it's part of why I was like, hard to pin down what a blonde redhead song is because you have some where it's her and some where it's him. And, mm-hmm. and I was just like, and I guess they, I don't know if they like write, they sing the songs that they write maybe, or if it's, are they, they write songs for each other to sing. Like I know that some bands that have alternating vocalists will mm-hmm. just sing the songs that they write. But I, I also know some where it's like they write the pieces or they collaborate on the pieces for each other. So yeah, uh, I don't I know wonder, what yeah. that um, is for them. Yeah. It, it was actually a little bit hard to research. They, they, they're they very kind of private about anything that's not, hey, this is putting myself out there on an album or a music release. Um, you know, There's not a ton of interview content to go through. So there's not like a huge amount of information out there on how their songwriting process goes and stuff like that. But um just kind of looking and listening for for however many years uh lyrical content wise mm-hmm. it it i would venture to guess that you know he writes the lyrics that he sings and she writes the lyrics that she sings there's a similarity there yeah and, a consistency yeah and it's you know it's it's very fugazi uh type of type of thing you know the back and forth um um, Blink-182 kind of does that. You yeah. know, there'll be yeah. a, a Mark song and then a Tom song and then a Tom Mark song. song and then a Tom mm-hmm. song. So, and who knows, we might be talking about them soon. It happened. Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so uh, I would, again, similar to when, uh, when I did my Expand My Mind with you uh, about Radiohead. Radiohead, yep. We just need to get you, you know, in a situation where you have a long drive uh, at night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and not listening to Bjork or or Portishead or I feel like I've got there should be a whole playlist of this kind of stuff that I just yeah. Need to very, I mean that's that's a great comparison actually, and yeah. almost vocally too, like Bjork and I heard I could uh, not make that comparison when I was listening. I was like, oh yeah, this has got that Bjork vibe, a little and, bit, and a little experimentalness Bjorky. to it, yeah, a little Bjorky, yeah. which is not little, a bad thing. Little dragon too, yeah. There's something about uh, like that kind of female vocalist that's uh, it's very cool. Yes, I love. Well, it. I appreciate so, you expanding my mind. Yes, and so it was great. We'll follow up and see what uh, Liam's blonde redhead journey. Yeah. Was and it might you know it might take you longer than a couple of weeks. We might have yeah, I think to we recap back. at the end of the year. We do our end of the year twenty twenty three yes. wrap up, and we can touch base on this stuff. I can't believe that it already feels like that's around the corner. This yeah. nuts. You're gonna what's gonna happen? Yeah, you're gonna look back when you're like, what albums did I like this year? And you're gonna be like, oh my god, that came out in twenty twenty. I know. Holy crow! Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you for letting me go off on one of my favorite bands. It's why we do Great. what we do. Yeah. And, I love the passion. Uh, I hope, uh, I've expanded some minds of some of our listeners as well. If I, if I can make one new blonde redhead fan, I'm super happy. I've done, my, yeah. <laughs> I've done my job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, so the new album comes out September 29th called sit down for dinner. Uh, the songs that are out now are fantastic. Um, definitely check it out. 
Um, but other than that, I, I don't have anything. I've, I have gone as far as I could go to, to convince anyone listening to give Blonde Redhead a shot if you've never heard them. I think um, if Steven's NES hasn't listened to them, uh, he's probably your best candidate for a convert. We'll see. You hear that? <laughs> Give him a shot. It's it's you got to be in the right headspace, but it's not too hard to get there, especially yeah. as we you know get later in the year. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, thank you, Liam. Thank you for uh, thank you, listener, for listening to Retro Groove. We're part of the Retro Logic family of podcasts. You can find us on Discord on the RetroLogic server. Come talk to us. It's fun. Find us on Twitter at RetroGroove underscore pod. Uh, we love to hear your reactions to the episodes, suggestions, comments. Uh, love that kind of stuff. So definitely feel free to reach out to us. Um, and uh, we will uh, we'll see you next time where we'll talk about uh, something that Liam wants to expand my mind on. That's right. We're going to do it. Thank you all. Have a good one. Thanks.